Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is your host, Joel Dover, and welcome to Season 3. Hey, we study Bible prophecy here from a dispensational, pre-tribulational, premillennial point of view, and we're always rapture ready. Grab your copy of God's Word and let's jump in together to see what the Lord has for us here on the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is Joel Dover. So glad to have you back on the program this week. Hey, I'd like to invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word. Today, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 13. So if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we're now in an interlude between the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. God is beginning the process of wrapping things up. We talked about uh, a race. If you think about a NASCAR race, the green flag at the start of the race, you know, gets everything going. The checkered flag is coming at the end of the race. So now that the Lord is starting to wrap things up, it's like the green flag has dropped on the beginning of the wrap-up in Revelation. The checkered flag is still way ahead of us here. And the checkered flag, of course, is the second coming of the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon. But the race towards that is already underway. Last time we were talking about the Uh, key players in Revelation, seven key players and their identities that we see in chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. And so just to refresh your memory, here they are again. Uh, Last time we met the woman who, of course, is Israel, the fiery red dragon, who is Satan, the male child, who is Jesus the Christ, the angel Michael, who is the captain or the chief of the angelic army, the offspring of the woman, who is Christians, And today we'll be meeting the beast from the sea, who is the Antichrist of the last days. Now, in chapter 13, we find one of of the most interesting looks at the tribulation in the whole Bible, because not only are we introduced to Satan's Antichrist and his false prophet, but we're going to get a glimpse of what life is going to be like in the tribulation. So as we get into chapter 13, let's begin with prayer and then see all that the Lord has for us. Father, we do ask for your help and understanding, Holy Spirit. Unpack the scriptures for us and be our most wonderful teacher in Christ's name. Amen and amen. And so we begin our study by way of an introduction to the beast from the sea, and this is the Antichrist. So look at verse 1 with me. The Bible says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Why don't we just pause there for a moment and realize what we've read. John now is standing on the sand of the sea. He's on the shore. And as he looks out at the sea, he sees a beast rising up from the sea. And it's a a very familiar description of the Antichrist and of this last day's kingdom that we've been learning about in the book of Daniel. So he sees a beast rising up out of the sea. He has seven heads and ten horns. On his horns are ten crowns. On his head is a blasphemous name. Now think back to Daniel chapter 7, which helps us with the interpretation of this. This, of course, is the fourth and terrible beast of Daniel's vision in chapter 7, and this explanation is unmistakable. So there's coming in the last days, you know this, the rise of a dreadful, satanically empowered kingdom upon the earth. I believe that it will be a renewal of the old Roman Empire, although it's unlikely that it will call itself by that name. And this kingdom, according to Daniel's prophecies, will be comprised of ten kings and ten kingdoms. Alongside of them, according to the Bible, will rise the little horn, or the Antichrist, who will overcome three of those kings, so that the last day's kingdom will now be led by the Antichrist, and the kingdom itself is a conglomerate of the remaining seven kings, comprising the territory and resources of all ten kings. 
And so the, the seven heads here are the remaining seven kings, and the ten horns or crowns represent the might and the regency of those ten individual kingdoms. Now, Daniel 7 depicts the Antichrist in a particular way. If you go back and reference that passage, the Antichrist is depicted as speaking pompous words against the Most High. Now, what do we call that when someone speaks against the Lord? We call that blasphemy. The Bible says he will attempt to change time and law and will persecute the saints for three and a half years. Or that is, if we think about it in Revelation terminology, from the time of the abomination of desolation at the midpoint of the tribulation all the way until the second coming of Christ, when the Lord returns and establishes his earthly kingdom upon the earth. His fate and the fate of his kingdom will be defeat by the Lamb of God, Jesus, when he comes, but he will have dominion over the earth for, for a significant amount of time. And so this will be a revitalization of that old Roman Empire, and it will result in global domination. So again, in verse 1, when we're reading about uh, the beast of the sea, who has seven heads and ten horns, again, ten kingdoms, three kings that are subdued, according to the book of Daniel, leaving seven heads, or seven kings, and the little horn, leading them all, who speaks with blasphemy against the name of the Lord. Now look at verse 2. There's an interesting appearance here in the scripture. The Bible says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So the Bible says he was like a leopard. Leopards are known to be swift. He had feet like a bear. I believe that speaks of his strength. He has a mouth like the mouth of a lion. I believe that refers to him being bloodthirsty. And we see here that he is empowered by Satan. The Bible specifically says that the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. So friends, understand that he comes fast, he comes with great strength, and he is bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty for power, bloodthirsty for authority. And understand that when the Antichrist comes, he will be satanically empowered. And that's what makes his blasphemies so interesting. Now, remember that in the Greek, that word anti does not mean opposite of. When we use that in the English, we often mean against something or the opposite of something. But in the Greek, it really means instead of or similar to. Friends, I believe that the Antichrist will be so similar to the Lord Jesus Christ, at least at first, that he'll convince many people that he's the Lord. This is one of the great deceptions, probably the greatest deception of all of human history, when the world will believe that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, that he's worthy of worship, and many will be led away by false signs and false wonders performed by the Antichrist. Let me take you back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 to 12, where the Bible says that the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now listen, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they should all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Friends, I'm telling you, when the Antichrist comes, he will be mistaken for being the Messiah. It's interesting as we think about other world religions, for example, the religion of Islam. They are waiting for their Messiah who is to come. The Jewish nation, by and large, still waiting for their Messiah who is to come. I'm telling you, there's coming a great deception when a large portion of the world, uh, of course, Christians taken out in the rapture here already, but those who remain, who have been waiting on their Messiah, will mistake the Antichrist for being the real Messiah until 
until the midpoint of the tribulation when it becomes very clear that he is satanically empowered. But listen, he'll do all kinds of signs and wonders and uh, pseudo-miracles, if you will, to deceive the world. So uh, thankfully, thankfully, we know the Lord Jesus Christ and Christians shall not be deceived because we have our hope firmly rested in the authentic Messiah of God, Jesus, who came born of a virgin, who lived a perfect and sinless life in our midst, who was crucified for his sins at Calvary, buried, and who rose from the grave in victory over sin, death, and hell 2,000 years ago. The work of God, the work of the Messiah is finished. We now await his coming. Now look at verse 3 and verse 4. We're going to see that there's a false miracle that leads to a deceptive global religion in the last days. The Bible says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And so the Bible indicates, listen, that John saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. There's some sort of deadly wound here, okay? And the Bible indicates that this is healed. So the Antichrist is going to be wounded in some way. The Bible suggests perhaps a head wound and there's a hint here, perhaps, with a sword. As we read ahead, verse 12 clarifies this is Antichrist himself. There's no question about that. And while it's clear here that this is a mortal wound, a life-threatening wound, some scholars would take this a step further and assert that the Antichrist appears to be dead and then is brought back to life by a fraudulent resurrection by the false prophet. So think of this, listen, as a fraudulent copy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whatever the details here might be, it's clear that some sort of pseudo-healing takes place, a, a satanic miracle, if you will, and that the result is that the world marvels at this, this antichrist. Unbelievers in the tribulation are going to see this miracle. They're going to follow him, not knowing the scriptures. They're going to worship him. They won't have the discernment to know what's genuine from what is false, what is of God versus what is of Satan. And so when this false resurrection takes place of the Antichrist in the last time, the result of that, according to verse 4, is that a new global religion forms. The Bible indicates that they worshiped the dragon. That is Satan. We're talking about Satan worship here, who, of course, um, disguises himself as an angel of light here in the last days. And the Bible says they worship the beast, that is the Antichrist. They'll say, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? Who is like him? Who can do that? You know, it's interesting, I've been reading through the Gospel of John in my own quiet time, my, my personal walk with the Lord, and I've really been in awe of the wonderful things that Jesus did. I mean, think about the wedding feast at Cana where Jesus turned water into wine. Who can do that? If I set a cup of water before you and said, turn it into wine, there's none of you who are listening today who would be able to perform such a miracle. On another occasion, the Lord spat into the dirt and made a paste and rubbed that paste on the eyes of a man who was born blind, sent him down to the pool of Siloam to wash. He received his vision for the very first time, just a wonderful miracle of God. On another occasion, Jesus came through a graveyard and Lazarus had been dead for four days, buried now four days. And he said, roll the stone away. And he called forth for Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose from the grave in victory and filled with life again. So what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 13, friends, understand, is a pseudo-miracle, a satanically empowered deception that convinces the world of what they ought to have believed about Jesus. Who can do these things? What sort of man can perform these miracles? 
You see, when we read John and we examine the works of the Lord, we're forced to the conclusion that no one can do the things that Jesus did except he be God. But in the last days, this satanic deception will wash over the entire world. A new global religion will rise. There'll be a shift in the worship of the religious systems that remain in the world in the tribulation. And we'll see in a moment that the whole world now uh, is caused to worship the beast and to bow down to his image. So every remaining religion upon the world will look to the Antichrist as being the authentic Messiah, when in actuality he is a satanic fraud. Okay, verse 5 and verse 6, we find that in the midst of this, the Antichrist will be a tremendous blasphemer, not a new idea, but one confirmed here in the scripture. The Bible says, and he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So I want you to just think back through that that passage with me. The Bible says he was given a mouth to speak blasphemous things and great things. He'll blaspheme against God, that is the Lord God Jehovah. He'll blaspheme against the Lord's name. He'll blaspheme against the Lord's tabernacle. He'll blaspheme against those who dwell in heaven, that is believers. And the Bible says that this authority of blasphemy is given to him for 42 months. Now, let's do the math here. Three and a half years. 42 months is three and a half years. So we see that all this begins at the midpoint of the tribulation when the abomination of desolation takes place, and it continues throughout the remaining three and a half years of the tribulation until the Lord Jesus returns at the second coming. So one of the great deceptions of the Antichrist is that for the first half of the tribulation, he appears to be a fairly wonderful person. Now, I believe the Lord is pouring out judgment and pouring out plagues, and the Antichrist, of course, is working behind the scenes, but it's really at the midpoint of the tribulation when it becomes apparent who he is and what he is, and those with spiritual discernment who believe the Bible and who know the Lord will be able to recognize that very clearly. The rest of the world will go after him and follow after his blasphemies. So for three and a half years, from the abomination of desolation until the second coming of the Lord, the Antichrist, of course, will reign and rule and will be a fraudulent Messiah upon the earth. He is a fraudulent, satanically empowered Messiah figure who deceives the world with satanically empowered, fraudulent resurrection and a Christ claim. He will sit in the Jerusalem temple as God. He will receive the worship of the entire world, and he will cause all, the great and the small, to worship himself, to bow down before his statue, and to worship the dragon. He hates the one true God. He blasphemes the Lord God Almighty. He blasphemes against his temple, against his name, against his people, and he is politically in control of the entire world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Global political domination. And the Bible teaches that he will force the world into submission to this satanic and deceptive direction. Now, what do you think his posture will be towards Christians in the tribulation? Now, remember that although we believe that the church is raptured out prior to the tribulation, there will be many who come to faith during the tribulation period. I've shared with you many times, there are some husbands right now whose wives every week, please come to church, please come to church, please come to church, but these men want nothing to do with the Lord. I'm telling you, when the rapture comes and their wives are taken out, the unbelieving husbands are going to pick up their wives' Bibles and flip to the end of the book. Everyone knows about Revelation. They will read it. Many will be saved. There will be Christians in the tribulation. Now look at verse 7. 
Verse 7 tells us that there is a global war against those Christians who are in the tribulation period. The Bible says it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Friends, one of the marks of both Judaism and Christianity that historically has brought the most severe persecution, especially in ancient Rome, was the commitment to an idea of a monotheistic God. The Romans, of course, followed two methodologies to create political unity in the kingdom. First of all, when they conquered a new place, they accepted their gods into the Roman plurality of gods. To create unity, Rome adopted the idea that every expression of God in the world is really just a different expression of the same God. But they also followed another religious tactic. Secondly, they established the practice of emperor worship and required that everyone in the empire worship the image of the Roman emperor. This was really more of a political ploy to create political unity across the empire. But if a person or group refused to worship the emperor, then they were viewed by the regime as disloyal, as troublemakers, dissidents, rebellious, and sometimes they were even arrested for treason. So friends, historically, the Jews and the Christians were heavily persecuted in Rome. Why? Because they insisted upon this monotheistic ideal that there is one God, that we're to be faithful and loyal to him, that we're to worship him alone. So it will be in the last days. The Holy Spirit will not allow true Christians to bow down to the image of the beast, and so Christians will be seen in much the same light in the last days as they were in the historical Roman Empire. The result will be that the Antichrist will set out to exterminate them. He'll create war with the saints, who will be seen as rebellious dissidents who threaten the unity of the globe. Their belief in and their loyalty to one true God will make it impossible for real Christians to blend in. Now let's take 7 and 8 together. We're going to read 7 again and then also include verse 8. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So again, friends, we're talking about global authority, authority over every tribe, tongue, every nation. We would call this a one-world government. Think about this, friends. We're talking about one-world political system, a global military, one, one set of laws for the entire planet, a global economy, perhaps even uh, globalization in education, every sector of life overseen by this one-world government. And then we see here that the Antichrist will intentionally target and make war against Christians in the latter half of the tribulation. And so when we think back to the Jewish Holocaust of the 20th century, understand, my friends, that in the last days there is coming a Christian Holocaust. Yes, the Jews will be persecuted again in, in, like nothing we've ever seen before, but so will the saints. Persecution of Jews and Christians will be extreme in the latter part of the tribulation. In fact, there's a statement in Matthew 24, verse 21 to 25. The Bible says, For then there shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Listen, and except for those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Therefore, if any man say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. 
For there, false, there shall rise false Christs and false prophets, and shall sow great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. And Jesus says, Behold, I have told you beforehand. Listen, there's clarity here on those who worship this Antichrist. The Bible says, Those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, the unbelievers in the tribulation will be massively deceived. Unbelievers, non-Christians in the last days will just, you know, lock, stock, and barrel be following the Antichrist. But those who are believers, who know the true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be required to keep their fidelity unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit keeps them in faithfulness. Because of the Spirit of the Lord, it will not be possible for true believers to be deceived. Okay, now let's look at a familiar admonition in verse 9 and verse 10. The Bible says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And so we see this admonition often in Scripture. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. This is the Bible way of saying, If you have ears on the side of your head, and if you have heard this teaching, then pay attention and comprehend what God is saying to us. And here's the message. Christians should hang on and not lose heart. Their patience in this, uh, in this reality is necessary. The Bible says, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword shall be killed with the sword. So as the Antichrist drives Christians into captivity, ultimately he will be put into captivity for the Lord's name. As Antichrist and his armies kill believers by the sword, ultimately they shall face the same fate in the Lord's time. So there's an admonition here for Christians to be patient and to hold on to their faith. Revelation 12, 11, let me remind you of this. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And then Matthew 10 and verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, friends, we're going to pause here today as we think and reflect on the beast from the sea, the Antichrist. When we come together next time, we'll turn our attention to the beast from the earth, who is the false prophet. This is a religious leader who is in the world, another satanically empowered individual, the false prophet who will be responsible for leading the entire world in following the Antichrist and believing that he is a fraudulent Messiah. Well, friends, I want to thank you for listening today to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. I wonder if there's someone in your life that you could share this with, perhaps a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, a family member, a co-worker, or a friend. We sure would appreciate you helping us to get the word out. Feel free to post on your social media wall so that other believers who follow you online can study along with us. Thank you for sharing the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast, and thank you for being a faithful listener. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.